bananas, ranch dressing, hot salami. Some flavors, you just have to taste them to truly understand what they are. Sour, spicy, and bittersweet. I'd used it before, but never understood truly what it meant for something to be bittersweet until this moment. Take your time. Leaving home, the comfort of my toasted ravioli and vest soda and smash burgers, the excitement of the city foundry and the food truck festivals and the craft breweries of St. Louis for a big new adventure in the nation's capital. But this is home. I already have like five trips home planned for the next few months. For goodness sakes, I have food to eat and people to see. Not the least of which is producer Dory Almost. You freaking better host Abby Larico. I say what? Oh my goodness. So we have said from the very beginning, this is not a restaurant review show. We go beyond that. We tell the stories of the people in the kitchen, the suppliers, farmers, and growers, the history, the future, the communities, and the collaborations that have contributed to making St. Louis a world-class food city. And it truly is that, a world-class food city. St. Louis has been known as a hidden gem for gourmands and casual diners for quite some time, but in the past few years, it's truly getting the attention it deserves. We launched in the spring of 2019 and had a solid year of sticking to (laughs) a steady diet of dining and food culture stories. That is before Mm. things turned upside down in 2020. You know that story. Mm -hmm. So for much of this podcast life, we've been documenting all there still is to celebrate. All the people who are making St. Louis a wonderful place to dine while navigating the turbulence and tribulations of the pandemic. And there's still so much left to talk about. That's why today on Abby Eats St. Louis, we're chatting about the St. Louis food scene with some of the people who are working hard to both cover and promote that food scene on the world stage. Okay, I am Cheryl Bear. I'm the dining editor and critic for the Riverfront Times, where I've been for, oh goodness, it's almost nine years at this point. Cheryl never knew she'd be a food writer. She went to graduate school for international relations, had very writing-intensive jobs, but she always worked on the side in restaurants. She calls this job a combination of passions. The advice that I would give is, you know, besides being a professional appreciator, is, um, you know, to just be fearless when it comes to going after something that you want. You know, people think the barrier to entry with this kind of job is much higher than it actually is. Uh, I'm Holly Fan. I am a, a food writer. I'm, I live in St. Louis. I'm based in St. Louis. Holly, on the other hand, always wanted to be a food writer. She took a detour after Mizzou to actually work in restaurants for years and is now making good on that dream. She's the food writer whose contributions to national publications like Eater are bringing hungry people to St. Louis from around the world. When I dine at a place, there's a there's a, an enormous amount of translation happening from the plate to my brain. I can tell what's going on on the cold line by what happens when the salad comes out. I know if they are, um, you know, probably short somebody. I know if they are rushing through their orders, if something's seared off incorrectly and, and not finished correctly. So, um, so knowing what is happening in the kitchen and just having that knowledge to pull from is great. 
then via Zoom. So I'm George Mayhe, dining editor of St. Louis Magazine. George is also a longtime St. Louis restaurateur, consultant, and all-around industry insider, and has a dining newsletter that we recommend. There's just so many, so many places, and I'm a, I've been a student here for, for a long time, and I'm still learning. It's fascinating. I sat down with all of them, again, George via Zoom and Cheryl and Holly together in the dining room at Vicia to ask them about eating in St. Louis, how they're both feeding us and keeping us hungry for more. Here are some moments from those conversations. Being the dining editor is a pretty powerful gig in St. Louis because this is a town full of foodie people who want to be foodie people who look to somebody to say, how do I become more of a foodie person, if you will? What would you say is, um, is, is there a singular reason or a, 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 could you name some reasons why St. Louis has kind of become this more foodie city or a foodie town, we like to call it? I mean, it, it's been going on kind of slowly. It's been a slow progression for really the last 15, at least 15 years. I kind of peg it to when um, Gerard Kraft and Kevin Nashen got to town. They got to town 2004, 2005. Kevin bought a successful restaurant, Sydney Street Cafe. And, you know, it's, it's con- continued to get better ever since he, he did. And Gerard Kraft started Niche, if you remember. And... Um, <clears throat> So, uh, and Gerard Kraft uh, had never been to St. Louis. Uh, he was looking on the internet and, and was looking on Craigslist and saw an ad for a place right up the street from Kevin Nashen's place up from Sydney Street. And it was an ad for a, a, a wine bar. So he comes to town, never been to St. Louis, goes to the place and it's dirt floors and no electricity and no plumbing. And he says to the realtor, he goes, I thought this was a wine bar. And the guy goes, well, it could be. So, so that's how Niche got started. And, uh, you know, basically, uh, we've never looked back. Uh, those two guys started getting James Beard nominations almost immediately. And, you know, as you know, uh, Gerard won the James Beard Award for Best Chef Midwest in 2015 and Kevin in 2017. And in the middle, there were all these, uh, when you start getting accolades like that, everybody starts taking notice. The, the foodies around the country start taking notice. And, and that's, just, uh, that's just how it works. And uh, so, you know, the thing starts to, to steamroll and, and, and snowball. And all of a sudden, there's all kinds of folks writing great things about St. Louis, coming to St. Louis to visit, uh, to, to see some of these places. You know, Mike Emerson in 2008 or so started Pappy's. That almost really put, put barbecue on the map here again. St. Louis barbecue always existed, but not the way he was doing it. So uh, when the, that that was a big uh, a game changer as far as St. Louis too. So we've had all these little bits and pieces. Uh, Joya's won a James Beard Award for the what was it called the America's Best or Americana. There was only it's only been given out a hundred times, and Joya's won it. So that was a big story when it broke. So each time this happens, more national press and more national travelers take notice. And, and you'll talk to a lot of these guys, like the guys at Pappy's, you know, they, they get all these, this great press and they get, you know, on the food network. And all of a sudden people show up the next day that are coming to St. Louis and they've got their drag in their suitcase. They haven't even gone to their hotel room yet. They're going to these restaurants first. So that's uh, all those things play into it. And, and it just keeps, uh, you know, it keeps going and keeps growing. Mm-hmm. And when you 
think about things like that, though, it could have been the case where, oh, you know, between Kraft and Nashon, they've got it covered. Oh, and then we have another big wig coming in and that's his turf. So, um, you know, you could have these uh, food lords, if you will, coming in and staking their claim and people saying, OK, well, they've got that taken care of. St. Louis is a medium sized city and there yeah. can only be so many chefs and so many great restaurants. So I'm not going to try my thing in this random neighborhood in St. Louis. I'm just going to kind of let them handle. But instead, we see the opposite. We see yeah. people continuing to jump in um, and it seems like we've not subbed out the big names. We just keep getting a longer list of people to watch and people doing interesting things. So why do you think that's the case that it seems like we're, what is the word um, that's been used to describe St. Louis uh, over we're, we're over punching over. What is the oh, phrase? Yeah, pun- punching above our weight. Absolutely. Punching above our weight. It's been a while since I've watched boxing, but you yeah. yes, exactly that. <laughs> But that's a yeah, that's exactly what happened. Gerard, he knew he he would be a big fish in a small pond here. That's one reason he came here. He said, I, you know, I was looking at Chicago and New York, and he goes, I would have probably just been another, you know, good chef there in St. Louis. He had a, a chance to shine and he knew it. And and I think a, you know, a lot of there's a lot of that here. And a lot of it is spurred, I think, by the one, just the, the food scene has is, is, is got a great reputation. And two, the standard of living here, as, as we all know, is, is, is very reasonable. A lot of chefs uh, have moved here. Um, you know, that's been a big reason why their dollar goes a lot further here. Even Mary Forgione, you know, if you remember an American place back in the, whenever that was in the 90s, he moved, he, you know, he started a, a restaurant in this town. He was one of the big uh, influencers as well. And uh, a lot of people forget an American place, but he saw the value and, and the merit in St. Louis a long time before anybody else did. That's where Josh Galliano got his start and a lot of other big chefs. But yeah, I, I see a lot of chefs, uh, a lot of St. Louis chefs moving away, you know, going to Europe to study and to stage and going to the coast to to work with named chefs, but a lot of them end up coming back here because they know they've seen what it's like out there. And it's a big sea of chefs. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a chance to, you know, to, to, to really, uh, uh, let your star shine here. And, and a lot of these guys have, have learned all these great things. Uh, Nick Bognar at Indo, he went down and studied sushi with some guy and he came back and he's got the best sushi spot in town now. And, and again, that's uh, fortunately for, you know, St. Louisans love St. Louis and we all know why we love it. And that's kind of a, a secret that a lot of people don't know about. The, the, the guys from Chicago and New York and Los Angeles that come here do and they go, boy, this is the best kept secret. This is the best deal going. So, so that I think there's a lot to that. And and, and I can't, I don't think that's going to change. St. Louis is always going to be, you know, that's fine with me. Tell me a little bit about how it actually works, how the appreciation versus criticism goes in a city like St. Louis, where we're scrappy, we're, we're, I, we're hungry. I'm going to, at the risk of going Hamilton here on mm-hmm. us, you know, we're, and people want 
positivity out of this. So how do you kind of balance all of that? I think that there is kind of that ratatouille stereotype of the critic, you know, who just wants to come in and be nasty to everybody, which is so not true. I mean, we are at our hearts rooting for a place to succeed. And when they don't, you have to be honest about that, you know? It's almost like a moral dilemma. When when I go into a place that really, really is not producing, you know, competently, they are not making the food that I know that they want to make. It is, you, you have this moment where you struggle with the last thing you want to do is write a review that encourages people to go somewhere. Have them go there and say, what in the world was this woman talking about? Mm. She is, she's off her, you know, she's off her rocker. She obviously is deluded. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to bash anybody. You don't want to just, just tear anyone down. So, but there is that moment of moral dilemma where you, you feel obligated to both, you know, your audience, the people who are reading your work, and there is obligation to, um, as well to the people that you're writing about. And I think it's just a certain amount of respect that you have for both. I'm, I'm call myself the rah-rah guy and it's my job to talk up St. Louis restaurants and it's easy to do. It's not like I have to, you know, fabricate things and dig deep. So yes, that's, that's part of what I do. And uh, so, so that's, that, that part is really, you know, easy for me and objectively, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, they call me the food critic. I'm really not the critic. I don't write criticism. I'm the dining editor. I, I'm the quarterback of, of that department. So there are critics that we have that go out and, and, and do those things. And now that said, I don't think it's our job as the city magazine to go out and, and uh, if the place was lousy, just trash them in print. You, you're never going to see us do that. I don't think that's fair. Uh, our, our, our lead critic, Dave, gets, you know, he gets 12 reviews a year in the magazine. I'm not going to spend one of those trashing a place. What, I, what we do do is if Dave encounters a place that wasn't very good, he'll, he'll call me up and say, you know, this wasn't so hot. And he'll tell me six or eight reasons why I'll pass that on to the restaurant owner and say, you know what? We were going to write about you guys, but we are going to pass at this point in time. And here's the reasons why, you know, don't shoot the messenger uh, and we'll see you in six months and talk about making a friend quickly. You know, they know that, you know, we could have just as easily written a, a, a nasty article and potentially, you know, put them hurt their business. So, you know, there, there's ways of going about this, I think, and, and, and it plays to the whole social media thing and, and, and the people that, that comment and, and, and get on Yelp and, and TripAdvisor and things. You know, there's, there's more constructive ways of, of effecting change than just getting on and saying, you know, this, I had a horrible time, one star. Well, it doesn't tell anybody anything. You know, you're going to do that. Take the time to, to maybe send that to the restaurant manager or owner and say, I had a bad time because, and then you're going to make it better for everybody else down the line. Otherwise you're just, you're just blowing nasty smoke and, and nobody wants to see it or hear it or read it or any part of that. So there's, there's a lot of things that we all can do to be, uh, you know, better cheerleaders for, for our restaurants and our community. And I think that's, you know, we've kind of lost sight of that. Everybody seems to want to be nasty before they want to be nice. And, and I find that that's very unfortunate, but 
Um, and, and restaurants are very cognizant of that because they've, they've been on the receiving end. You know, they're short staffed and they're short hours and they're short this and that. They're just doing the best they can. And people come in and, you know, lay into the, the, the folks at the front desk. And it's like, hey, that's, nobody signed up for this. And, and it's, it's, it's become difficult for, for these guys. The last I feel very uh, I'm a former restaurant guy myself, and I feel very, um, uh, you know, very, very much a part of their, their, their lives when I hear this stuff, because because I remember living things like that. But it's gotten a lot more difficult just because um, uh, people have just become much more vocal, much more opinionated, much more entitled. <laughs> restaurant guys are tired of it. It's like, stop already. You know, we get it. We're, we're, you know, we know we're not perfect. We know what, what our mistakes are, and we're doing the best we can to correct them. But um so, so I really, uh, I feel for these guys and, and uh, I hope that, you know, as, as we're heading into February 22, that things are going to start to, to come back to some semblance of normalcy. I don't think it's ever going to be the way it was before. I, I think the labor situation is going to take care of that. I'm not sure we'll ever see as many folks working in restaurants as we, as we did before. So we have to adjust to that. But again, I just hope, uh, you know, that there's, there's plenty of fun, entertaining, quality places to, to continue to go to. And because, you know, we all, at the end of the day, we all love going out to eat. Are you guys always hungry? You know, sometimes I, I'll post things on Instagram um, after I've been dining out a lot of places and I have all these beautiful food photos up. I will post a photo of what I'm eating at home. And sometimes, you know, it'll be a bowl of cereal. I'm very excited about the, uh, the little Debbie line of um, of cereals that's coming out. They will they will make up many of my future dinners. Um, I when eating becomes a job, it it changes sort of scope. Um, I know that when I have to bring someone with me to dine, just so we can you know try as many dishes as, as we can. I am no fun to be around. Um, people get excited. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to go review this restaurant with you. This sounds like fun. I won't talk to you. I will tell you what you're ordering. I will eat off your plate. I will tell you to be quiet. I will, you know, I'll tell you I'm concentrating. It's, it's a, it really is, it becomes a job. And so, yeah. So, yeah, we are kind of always hungry, but it is, it is work. In this moment right now, in 2022, early 2022, are there food stories that you think we aren't talking about enough in St. Louis? Wow, that is a good question. Yeah. You know, it really is because I, I feel like right now the focus is so much on the struggles that places are going through that I think we probably aren't really talking about the food as much, to be honest with you. And there has been a lot of great, new restaurants that have opened in the midst of all of this. Um, I think I would like to see a little bit more um, kind of celebration of the actual restaurants outside of the scope of the troubles and the difficulties yeah. and all of that. Um, so I think that is something that's missing right now. I think that um, we tend to center our ideas of where a good restaurant is very much on place here. I think St. Louis, because it's such a neighborhood city, we've deemed places as appropriate restaurant neighborhoods. Well, and we have and city-county yes. divides so much. Yes. 
and if a restaurant's here then it's great and if a restaurant's opening here then it must not be so good and I think that um, I would also like to see um, us kind of you know exploring parts of the city that we think aren't these you know quote unquote great restaurant neighborhoods and really kind of digging into some of those kind of what we think of as unexpected places but it's not unexpected it's unexpected because you know someone decided to deem a certain neighborhood as a culinary district or yeah. what have you so i think that's something that is underreported just how much great food there is outside of you know there's there's great food west of Lindbergh. I know that's shocking to hear. There's even great yeah. food, dare I say it, across the Missouri River. There is. Isn't that I wild? Know. One story that gets um, not enough attention and also that gets too much attention, I, sh- I can say, is, is, is news about pandemic and, and the pandemic restaurants and the pandemic pivots. On the one hand, everybody's sick and tired of reading about this, I think. On the other hand, these things, the story has continued to develop. And as much as, you know, we all want to be done with it, it's still here. And, and as guys continue to do new things, you know, I think those stories are, are interesting and, and still relevant. The, the, the big un, kind of undiscussed thing now is the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, the RRF. You know, we heard a lot about the PPP and things like that. And that saved a lot of guys' skins. There's no question it, it kept them all going. It kept them above water. But now that that was those funds were they were they were not equally distributed. So so we were hoping to get you know more funds. And this restaurant, this RRF, is is needs was funded, and now it needs to be refunded because there are still a lot of folks that didn't get funds before that are in trouble and that should have gotten funds before. Some of the guys, the big companies that didn't really need them, got them, and some of these smaller guys that needed them didn't get them. So, you know, we're, we're stuck with that. And, and it's something that, you know, I, I, I wrote about it recently, but, and I don't know that the, the consumer wants to hear about it, but the consumer needs to hear about it. You know, you need to write your congressman and say, hey, w- this needs to happen. It's sitting on the congressman's desk somewhere, as those things tend to do. And, and this, these kind of things need to happen or the, the National Restaurant Association came out with, with stats that, you know, there's going to be a lot more attrition unless this happens. So, so please let's, let's, you know, do you like your restaurants? Well, you know, get off your rear ends and talk to your congressman. So those kind of stories are, like I said, they're a little dry, but they're very important. So, so those kinds of things uh, need to be um, reinforced. Uh, Gerard Kraft's a very vocal uh, you know, proponent of that. He's come out several times and said, you know, we really need this. And his places are doing fine. I mean, he could probably do fine without them, but he's thinking about everybody else. So um, that's that's one story that, that I think we'd like to, you know, we should see more of, like it or not. I have tried to stop asking too many questions about like, what's next? Predict the future, get your, you know, crystal ball out here because as we sit here in February of 2022, right now we're hearing about mask mandates being repealed in many places. We are sitting in a dining room in Visia where it was closed for quite some time because even once dining rooms were back open again, everybody's having to run at their own pace um, when it comes to pandemic recovery. So 
while I know that that's a big part of it, you know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't want to ask anybody to make any predictions or jinx us, frankly, about where we're going from there. But now that St. Louis has established itself, even to the people who live here who can be hard to convince of things, that we're a town with good places to eat, people are trying to get back out and go. We have gotten some recognition, you know, work that you both have done has also lent to that. Where do we go from here and how do we live up to the expectations that we've set for ourselves as a food city? So I've been thinking about this because this this is definitely a popular question. You know, what's next for St. Louis? You know, I came up with for, it. It's completely yeah, original. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's great. Um, it's, it's a very valid question and it's one that a lot of people want an answer to. And there's sort of a two-prong answer that I have to this. One is that St. Louisans, and I think just people nationally, but St. Louisans are so ready. We're so ready to get back out there. We're so ready for new restaurants to open. Um, even though it's the pandemic, we've had an enormous you know, boom in the amount of places opening. And St. Louis loves to support a new, a new spot. We, our diners, you know, they're knowledgeable. They, they know what's going on and they will search out new places. Um, at the same time, I think something that happened because of the pandemic is that restaurants really, they really had to, to buckle down and, and stand up for who they were and what they were doing. And a lot of, a lot of them put up with so much sort of adversity and, and just aggression from people that I think, I think restaurant owners and chefs and everyone involved, front of the house, back of the house, has a better understanding and a more solid, firm idea of what they want to do. And whereas before they might have compromised a little, um, they might have thought, you know, it would be great if we did this, but I think this would sell better and, you know, offend less people, attract more people. I think now it's, we're gonna do what we wanna do. Um, and people are realizing that they have, they have more room to take risks because they had to take such huge risks and pivot in these ways that, you know, were just wild ideas. And they found success, a lot of them. So it's really, um, I think they've come, they've sort of come into their own, you know, sort of hard times have, have made them realize that they're going to do what they intended to do the way they want to do it. At least that's what I hope. That's what I hope in my hearts of hearts. Do you think any part of that also goes with the idea that like, because I remember having a sit down with a couple local chefs about, or it was March of 2021 on the anniversary of restaurant dining room orders coming out for the city of St. Louis. And, um, one of the most um, interesting things that they all kind of agreed on was the customer is always right, doesn't play anymore. It just can't. Um, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a piece, I touched on this, um, on a piece for St. Louis Magazine, and it, exactly as you were saying, the customer is not always right. And that is sort of a tenant that we you know, we we got from like the Sears Roebuck guys. I mean, it's it's something that that was meant to to protect a customer from defective items. It is not meant to allow you to not wear a mask in a place that requests you to be masked. It is not um, it is not so that you can get into a restaurant that is fully booked that night. It's it's really the customer is always right. 
is such a backwards idea. Um, hospitality as it exists, every single person who works in that restaurant, this is hilarious. For some bizarre reason, myself included, you are there. Your entire existence is there to make someone's dining experience pleasurable. So they will do everything they can to, to make that a pleasurable, wonderful experience for you. They don't need to be told what they need to do to make that pleasurable. If you're trying to communicate something that you're lacking, yeah, absolutely, communicate with them and they will, they will likely get it to you as, as soon as they can. But, but using the customer is always right or using that idea to sort of give yourself leverage uh, in an inappropriate situation, those are sort of the worst diners out there and they can stay at home. I have been kind of chronicling the openings and closings of restaurants in the coming soons almost since 2008, since the, since the recession, because I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be horrible. I better start to keep track of this. And I've been doing that for, for like 13 years, right? And ever since I, I started logging that, there has been more openings than closings by a long shot every month of every year. And that's through the pandemic. That's through any period you can you can name. I mean, for every closing, there's three to four to five openings every month. It's staggering. It's a staggering statistic, especially since, you know, we were nearly breaking records the last three months of last year, October, November, December. There were more restaurants opening here than have ever opened in that three-month period since I've been looking at it, which if you think about it and all the crazy stuff that's gone on in the labor shortages, it's like, I can't explain it. People said, what do you think about that? Why is that? And I said, I have no idea, but I'm glad it's happening. You know, for the for the consumer and the diner, it's a good thing. On the nationwide scale, you have people who might know a couple of things about St. Louis food. No, I put that in quotation marks because they know how we cut our bagels like serial killers. <laughs> They know that um, Jimmy Kimmel hates our pizza and that the cheese sticks to the roof of your mouth. They know that we don't understand what a ravioli is or that we can't eat a fully cooked cake and call it gooey butter and say it's a delicacy. And that's what a lot of times the St. Louis food story is, I don't want to say reduced to, but summarized as. Because I think we could all in some ways agree that those are pretty uh, top contenders for like major St. Louis staples. What are people getting wrong about St. Louis when they think about those things? But also, what are they getting right about St. Louis when they think about those as our tried and true hometown staples? I think what they get wrong is that there's something wrong with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that to me is what I take exception with, mm -hmm. you know, just that they equate it with like a lack of sophistication yeah. or, you know, a lack of knowledge or culinary understanding yeah. and you know it, it to me it always comes back to you know the pizza thing and you know how people are in such a hurry not even just to dismiss our you know st louis style pizza but just talking about pizzas in general you know there's always such a you know oh new york is trash and chicago's the way to go or st louis is trash and you know this is the way to go you know why Why does one have to be better than the other? Why can't we appreciate things for what they are? You know, St. Louis isn't trying to say that toasted ravioli is a better way of doing ravioli than every other way you've ever had it. We're saying this is how we do it, yeah. or this is one of the ways we do it. And 
there's a joy in that and there's a uniqueness into each place having its own sort of voice and I think along with that like what you were saying is people assume you know this is all you can get here is they then take that you know they think the way we do things is wrong and they think then that means that we're incapable of doing anything else and I think that when people do get past that kind of stereotype and you know frankly you know snobbishness Mm -hmm. about food then they can actually find first of all enjoyment Mm -hmm. in digging into a piece (laughs) of gooey butter cake you know and or if anyone's ever had I mean I'm sorry I'll I'll say it Provel is the that is the way you have a cheese stick it is not mozzarella sticks it is provel if you have had a fried bite of provel cheese you have won cheese sticks that's just the way it is but um but if you can get past that you know and then also see that we have all these other great things like i mean i would say that we have the best you know bosnian food in you know in the country you know we have all these rich food cultures here and um you know reducing us to one thing that we think is lowbrow is um it's really doing a disservice here's here's how i i look at that St. Louis is becoming a highbrow food community, like like we just talked about. That's that's a fact. But the, some of the items that we're known for are very lowbrow: toasted ravioli, Nemo's, you know, Prevel pizza, uh, famous bars, French onion soup, gooey butter cake. There's all those are 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 fine. But I think folks come to town and want to experience it, but I don't think they dig deeply enough. They might get a gooey butter cake that's just so-so from somewhere. If you look, seek out a a gooey butter cake, there's some really good ones there. Toasted ravioli the same way. A really well-made toasted tea wrap is great. It's got to be, you know, stuffed with a lot of meat or it's all pasta, right? Um, Provel cheese is, you know, I'm (laughs) I'm a proponent of, of Provel cheese, but I don't eat it exclusively on my Emo's pizza. I, t- I use a blend. Emo's has a blend of half Mott's and half Provel that they will put on those pizzas. And I think that's the best combination because you've got the taste of Provel, but you've got the stringiness of Mott's. So I think that's, you know, a lot of people would just turn their nose up at Provel and say, this isn't very good. But I think you know, it, like I said, if you drill down a little bit and look at the different applications, it's it's a melting cheese. And that's what I use it for. I put it in pasta dishes. I make it a scampi dish with with a little bit of Provel in it that people say is the best scampi they've, they've ever had. And they said, is there a little cheese in there? And I tell them what it is and they hey, can't believe it. But those kind of things, um, again, I think the naysayers are, are quick to judge, you know, the whole bagel slice, you know, the, the vertical slicing thing, too. It's, you know, I think that's, that was kind of silly, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, how many times have you gone into the office and had just seen the bottoms of the bagels? You know, guys like me will take the top of the cinnamon crunch bagel and go squirrel it away into my office. And then you leave it, you leave the naked bottoms for somebody else. If you, if you slice them vertically, that doesn't happen. So, you know, it's easy to poo poo, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and, and I, I wrote an article that, that said that you know, we, we took flack from all over the country because we didn't know how to slice our bagels. But, uh, you know, people stopped to think about it. It wasn't such a crazy idea. If you really want to enjoy food, if you want to make yourself a happier person in general, the best advice I can give 
is to stop believing that there is one defining best of for every dish and that if you search that out and and it's elusive and it's subjective but if you believe that you are on the look the lookout or you know the you will only accept the most quote authentic or the most traditional or the most orthodox version of something then you're missing out on on 90% of what what eating is and what dining is dining is always cooking is always an interpretation and so what you are what you're eating is someone's interpretation of their experience and their knowledge and their skill set so so it always kills me because i think Cheryl gets this question i get this question and i never have an answer is either what's your favorite restaurant in st louis uh where should i go for dinner or what who makes the best blank and it's just you know, I can never give a, a solid standard answer. It has to be, if you are looking for this, then go here. Or if this is more important to you, then go here. Because there are, you know, there are qualities to everyone's interpretation that are different. Take this as a teaching moment. What's one thing you wish that people take their earbuds out of and say, wow, I'm really glad that I learned that and that's gonna inform my dining experiences? Hmm. Oh, there's so much. Oh, there's so oh, much. This is such an opportunity. <laughs> this is like the dream question. Um, so I think diners, especially, you know, people who consider themselves food, food enthusiasts, excuse me, or, or foodies, if you want to use that word, will often do, they do a lot of research. They do the work. They will dig in and they will try to find, you know, the best versions of this or the hottest place for this. But there is a lot of pleasure in going to places and just figuring out for yourself whether or not their food is good. Mm. And there's, there's joy in having kind of mediocre meals too because it makes the meals that you have that are, that more, you know, that are significant and good and sound and, and exceptional that much more good and sound and exceptional. So I think the search for the best of everything or being um, preoccupied with just finding um, you just only the most popular or only the hottest or only the newest or only the most esteemed chef is not is not going to lead to happiness there's so many there's so many chefs who who cooked for their families their whole life and are wildly talented and they open a tiny little spot catering maybe just beginning and their food will be just as enjoyable if not more so than than coming to a very esteemed place so yeah there can be pleasure in dining absolutely everywhere. You just, you can't cut yourself off from certain areas of it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would also say that I think trusting both the restaurant, but also trusting yourself too are two very important things. I think trusting the restaurant comes in that, you know, when you let them do what they do best, you're going to have the best experience. So trying to over manipulate your experience, you know, um, just, yes, you know, just kind of like really just enjoying and knowing, you know, I mean, you will probably have the best meal of your life if you tell your server to pick it for you yes. because 
they know what's the best thing on the menu and or you know what's the chef's favorite you know and I mean the chef's gonna say all of them are my favorite it's like picking between my children that's like the classic line there but but really if you were to go to a dining room and tell your server to order your meal for you I guarantee you will walk out of there having the absolute best experience ever um, and then the other thing is I would encourage people to trust themselves and along the lines of what Holly was just saying there is you may like something that isn't the trendiest place ever and the trendiest place ever may not be your preference and that's okay it doesn't mean you're you know a less worthy diner you know or a less worthy person I feel like we tend to um put so much weight on the opinions of what we should be enjoying that we don't just actually enjoy it and I would just encourage people you know to um to just really kind of find their own voice and what they like to eat and just embrace that and I mean trusting yourself and trusting others you know the chef um or the server or the host or whoever at the restaurant. Those, those are guaranteed ways to know that you're going to love what you eat. Like we said time and time again, we are not a restaurant review podcast, but talking to the people who do write reviews, even they said sharing the stories of our restaurant food scene comes down to so much more than just what's on the plate. Such a heavy lift to get a restaurant off the ground. You know, you don't go into that if you are not truly passionate and believe in what you're doing and you want to share that with the world. And the motivation to do that is the interesting part. It's infinitely more interesting than, you know, how they cook their, you know, pork that particular night. I was about to say pork chop. That's right. Don't hit that unsubscribe button. All right, listen here. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be bringing you some of our favorite stories from previous podcast episodes, revisiting some of the classics for the snippets and stories that you may have missed. I'm looking forward to that trip down memory lane. Oh, it'll be fantastic. And tasty. Sure. <laughs> so throughout this podcast, you have had a huge impact on me, obviously, Um but also just so many listeners out there and the restaurant scene as a whole. But I just wanted to share something with you first, just so you know what kind of impact you've had on so many of us. So, Hey, Abby. It's Alex from Joya's Deli. Hey, Abby. This is Chef Rob from Bull Rush. This is Ben Groupie with Tempest Restaurant. Hey, Abby. This is Danny Eichenhorst with the Fountain on Locust and Steve's Hot Dog. This is Joel from Gorilla Street Food. This is Rick Lewis with Grace Meeting 3. This is Charlie with Hot Charlie's. Hello, Abby. This is David Weglar from Still 630 Distillery. You might remember having me on your podcast a while back. This is Brandon Holtzier with Narwhals Crafted and Loaded Elevated Nachos. The first podcast Brad and I were ever on was when Abby St. Louis visited Narwhals. A lot's happened since then, but somehow it still seems like yesterday. I just wanted to say farewell and good luck in your next endeavor in Washington, D.C. You will be missed, and I really appreciate everything you've done for this city, especially us restaurant guys. You had quite an impact upon Hot Charlie's, I know the food scene in general in St. Louis, um, just highlighting little brands like myself and some big ones. Thank you for all the times that you shined a light on what we were doing at Steve's and for the way that you uplifted the St. Louis restaurant scene, especially in the crazy times of COVID. Thank you for all that you have done for the local St. Louis 
uh, scene, not just food scene, but the local St. Louis community on shedding light on everything that we do in the hospitality industry. You've done a great thing for this town and this community by helping shed light on the wonderful people that are trying to make something special here, and we'll never forget that. We're so thankful for you using your voice for good. The St. Louis food community is lucky to have had you, and on a personal note, it's amazing that we had a Filipino, American, Asian American representation um, on a major um, news channel, and it means a lot. I know that um, whoever you come in contact with in the community, you're just the salt and the light um, out there and I'm just so thankful to have gotten to know you over the last few years. You really did some great deep dives into conversations and, and took it above uh, than what's just on the plate or what's just in the sauce. Thank you so much for all you've done for this city, for the culinary scene, for the restaurants and the chefs. It's really meant the world and I can't wait to see what you do in the next community and the changes you make there and the impact you make on the lives of the people that you meet. Please do the same in Washington, D.C. and make that city better like you did ours. We know the people of Washington will love her just as much as St. Louis has. You always have a home here in St. Louis and a hot salami will be waiting for you. <laughs> Come down to still 630. I'd love to have a cocktail waiting for you. We'll have some frozen cocktails and nachos ready for you. You will always have hot sauce to be found warmly and safely in St. Louis. Best of luck. We're going to miss you. Cheers. Cheers. It is safe to say that anytime you do come home, you will be well fed <laughs> and a drink will be waiting for you and so, so much love. When the hell did you have time to do that? <laughs> I find time. <laughs> oh, well, at the risk of turning this into a sob fest, thank you. Thank you, Dory. I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> this podcast, this partnership, getting to dive into one of my favorite things about the greatest city on the planet has been amazing. Thank you to everyone who's been a voice on this podcast. Thanks to everyone who's weighed in, everyone who's listened, everyone who's enjoyed St. Louis food in part because of what we've been doing here. If you are what you eat, I will always be St. Louis. Thank you for joining our table. Be good and seize the plate. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Ooh la la.